Dave um, is, is away this Sunday, and he asked me to address objections to Christianity. And so um, that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. My question for you right out of the gate is this. What are some common objections to Christianity, maybe that you've heard personally or that you've just heard, you know, on social media, whatever? What are some common objections to Christianity? Okay, yep, too narrow-minded, yep, intolerant, that kind of thing. Yep, yep, that's definitely a common, common objection. Jay? Yep. Bible is full of errors. You know, how can, we, how can we trust it? We really can't depend on it. Yes, that's a common, common objection. What are some others? What's that? Okay, yeah, we can't have any fun. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably, that probably is a common, common objection. Yeah, we probably should talk about that today, but, but that's not our topic. Give me some more. You're getting warm. Science has disproven Christianity. Science has yeah, and that's what Dave is, is trying to help us work through. That objection, science and faith, their contradictions and terms. What are some other ones? What's that? It's outdated. It's outdated, yeah. How, how, can you, how, how can you follow this ancient book? I mean, come on, this is the modern world after all, right? Any others? Christianity's hypocritical. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Zach, thank you. We did not practice that before, I promise. That's really our topic today. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Um, in, some of the, in some of the research I've, I've, I've read, um, there was one focus group in particular I'm thinking about uh, this particular objection was, was definitely in the top five. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And so that's, that's the objection that, I've, that I want to tackle this morning. And um, so I want you to all come with me, okay? You ready? You ready for this? Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And so probably I should pray as we, as we begin to think about this objection. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we, we come to you as sinners in need of your grace. And um, Father, would you use our time this morning to, to help us think about this topic, to equip us, to be ready to give an answer uh, as best we can. And Lord, I pray you would search our hearts as well, that this would be an opportunity for us to, um, to be honest with you, with ourselves, and with others. We we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I, I recently read an article on, on, on Christians and hypocrisy, and the, the article began this way. Dwight L. Moody once said, yep, we're good. Dwight L. Moody once said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian." When you look at today's headlines about Christians in the news and the rhetoric around Christianity on social media, that's a sobering thought. At least it ought to be. Hypocrisy might be the greatest stumbling block 
that gets in the way of people coming to Christ. So I don't know how many of you have experienced this objection close up, you know, and personal. I, I remember, um, I don't know if I'd call this guy a friend, but he's certainly an acquaintance and we have opportunity to interact. And, and it took a long time before he and I were able to have a discussion about spiritual things. So I know this, he's an older man, um, and, and finally, we, we, we're able, I'm able to turn the discussion to spiritual things. And, and I learned that we, ha- we both have a lot in common. He, w- he grew up in the Catholic Church. I grew up in the Catholic Church. He was an altar boy. I was an altar boy. I'm thinking, wow, this is, we're connecting. Um, and then he shares this. He shares his experience as an altar boy and how he was, he, he shared some detail about how he was sexually molested by the parish priest. And, and that, that was his idea of Christianity. That was his view of Christianity, the hypocrisy of this particular priest. And maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe some of you have experienced hypocrisy. You're victims of it. And so we're going to talk about that today, and I, I just hope and pray that, that our discussion this morning will be in some small way helpful for you wherever you're at this morning. So the bottom line is, if you talk to enough non-Christians, if you speak with enough non-Christians, you will probably encounter this objection at some point in time. Christian apologists refer to this particular objection as a defeater belief. Any of you heard that language, defeater belief? Okay, it's a defeater belief in the sense that people hold this belief and and we need to try and address the belief, right, before they'll even give a hearing to the gospel. It's, It's something that they believe that's right in front of their face and we need to try and respond to that belief Okay, in, in a way that, that helps them hear the gospel. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Yeah, the other thing I want to tell you is, is this. This objection, this, this, this belief that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, this objection is why apologetics is not merely an intellectual enterprise. Apologetics should be done in word and in deed. Our lives are meant to be an apologetic, a a reason for the truth of Christianity. And so we we can tend to think about apologetics merely as intellectual. I gotta know all the answers. I gotta figure out how to respond. And I guess what we're saying with this, that the way we live is a major apologetic for the Christian faith, either for or against it. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go. Okay, so how do we respond to the charge of hypocrisy? Some have said that if you encounter the charge of hypocrisy, one way to respond is just to simply say, well, there's always room for one more, right? 
Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Well, there's always room for one more. That's supposed to be funny. It's a tough crowd this morning. It's okay, it's early. So I don't think that's the best way to respond and I'm not suggesting you respond that way. Here's my suggestion this morning. I, I suggest that we respond to the charge of hypocrisy by practicing acts, A-C-T-S, acts. And here's, here's what I'm gonna suggest. I suggest that we practice acts. That is, we begin by admitting that the charge of hypocrisy is a serious concern. The charge of hypocrisy is a serious concern. We just admit that up front, okay? Second, we clarify by asking questions. We clarify by asking questions. Third, if we're able to have a discussion with, with people, after we've admitted it's a serious concern, after we've clarified by asking them questions and listening, we tell them what the Bible says, what the Bible says about who's a Christian and what hypocrisy actually is. And then finally, we need to be prepared to address special cases in church history, okay? So admit, clarify, tell, and be prepared to address specific cases, and that's where we're gonna go this morning, all right? So let's begin with the A in Acts. We want, we want to admit that hypocrisy of individual Christians and the Christian church uh, in history is a serious concern, okay? And we can admit that those who have professed Christ have done awful things. There have been cases where people that, who have professed Christ have done awful, awful things. So we admit it's a serious concern. We admit that some who profess have done awful things. And then I think we can admit this, that Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus Christ hates hypocrisy. His harshest critiques were reserved for those religious leaders he identified as hypocrites. In addressing some religious leaders of his day, he's, in this quote, he's, he's speaking to some religious leaders and other people that are gathered around, and he says this about the hypocrites. They preach, but do not practice. And then he said directly to these religious leaders, woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you, blind guides. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? That's Jesus on hypocrisy. So we can admit that Jesus hates hypocrisy. So I think that's how to start, is just to admit that hypocrisy is a serious concern. But here's the thing. If you're going to really address this objection, you're going to need to have a conversation with the person, right? I mean, we're so used to in our 
cultural context. It's a, you know, it's a 10-word tweet, you know, a 10, a five-word gotcha sentence. If we're going to really have a conversation about this topic, we need to, we need to ask this person if they're willing to have a conversation. So that would be my next thing. I would admit that hypocrisy is a serious concern. And then I would just ask them, hey, are you willing to talk about this? Are you willing to have an actual conversation about this topic? And it's an important question because here's the thing. Some people that you interact with, they don't wanna have a conversation, right? They're basically holding on to this objection to justify their unbelief. They're not searching for truth. They really don't want to have a conversation about this, a give and take. They just want to justify their unbelief. St. Augustine said it like this, right? The heart wants, whatever the heart wants, the will accepts and the mind justifies. Whatever the heart wants, the will accepts and the mind justifies. So, I would just ask, hey, could we have an honest conversation about this? And if they say no, okay, they don't really want to talk. And I might just try and plant a seed if I can and maybe say something to the effect of, you know, the, the Bible teaches that all humans are sinners, right? All humans are sinners, all hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. And maybe that's as far as I get. Now, if they are willing to have a conversation, then we go to the next step. And that's clarify by asking questions. I guess I should pause. Any, any comments or questions? I'm gonna give you opportunity to do that later, for sure, but are you okay so far? Okay, I guess. No news is good news. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, so, so first I'm going to admit hypocrisy is a serious concern, and then I'm going to clarify by asking questions. And again, these are just suggestions. I might begin by, by asking, if they really do want to have a conversation, I might begin by asking, do you know any Christians personally, or when was the last time you were in church? You know, do you know any Christians personally? Have you had any firsthand uh, interaction. And, and this helps, helps me to assess what their personal experiences have been. So like my, my friend that I talked to that had experienced this horrific interaction with this parish priest, my conversation with him is going to be a little different, actually a lot different, than someone where this is just an intellectual objection. Does that make sense? So I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to assess where this person's coming from. Uh, is this firsthand information or not? And then I might want to ask, you know, what do you mean by Christian? Or in your mind, what is a Christian? And, and I just want to say this. These questions are not designed as gotcha questions. That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to win a person. We're trying to know this person. We're trying to ask honest questions and, and listen carefully. Listen as best that we can. So 
I'm trying to understand where they're coming from personally. And then I want to understand what they mean by Christian. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Well, what is a Christian? Why do you think that's an important question? Why would that be an important question for me to ask someone that is making this objection? Yes, exactly, because the, the, Carrie said, because there's such a broad or wide category for non-Christians, you know, what do they actually mean by that? What do they think a Christian is? Yeah, but then. Other hypocrites that aren't ours. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, there's lots of hypocrites going around, um, and, you know, we don't want to have to deal with hypocrites that aren't ours. We want to deal with, with Christian hypocrites, yes. Let's, let's narrow that down. It's too big of a bucket. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, in our culture, more and more, non-Christians have less and less contact with actual Christians. I mean, I think that's generally true. They have less and less knowledge of, of the Bible. And so, a, a, a typical non-Christian may think of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know, maybe even Hindus as kind of in this big bucket of Christian, you know? And, and, and they're not. We, we don't need to own those hypocrites, right? We don't need to address those hypocrites. We wanna, we wanna talk about, well, what is a Christian? So that can be very, very helpful and necessary when I'm, when I'm talking with someone. Yeah, and here's an example of that. Um, I, was, I, I was reading an article that was written, and uh, this particular um, this particular writer, I, I've never heard of this person until I read this article, but basically um, said this, you know, especially with regard to evangelical Christians, aside from preaching anti-LGBT rhetoric and abstinence to the world, evangelical Christians have proudly touted themselves as righteous do-gooders doing the Lord's work. I mean... I, I don't think, when I think of myself as a Christian, I'm not thinking, man, I'm a righteous do-gooder doing the Lord's work. That's not, that's not the core of Christianity. That's not how I would define what it means to be a Christian, okay? So that's just one example um, of trying to clarify what we mean by some of these terms. So clarify what the person means by Christian and next, clarify what the person means by hypocrisy. You know, what, what do you think a hypocrite is? What is that, right? That's, we're going to do that this morning. We're going to talk about and try to define what that is. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a slippery term. So I want to clarify those things. And what I might even do after they respond, and I've listened carefully, right, I might say, so this is what I hear you saying. You know, a Christian, in your mind, is this, repeating, paraphrasing what they said, and hypocrisy, as you're defining it, is this, right? So we're admitting, and then we're clarifying. And then, I'm going to move on to the next step. Then I'm probably going to, third, so we admit, we clarify, and then third, hopefully I'll have an opportunity to tell. That's the, that's the third step. And I might just say something like, hey, thank you for 
Thank you for responding to those questions. Would it be okay if I just tell you briefly about what the Bible says about what a Christian is and what a hypocrite is? Would you be willing to, uh, to let me do that? And hopefully at that point, you're having a conversation and they say yes. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk a lot about what the Bible says about Christians and hypocrites. My purpose is not that you're gonna do everything I'm gonna do this morning, okay? But hopefully it'll clarify in your mind and I will have some summary statements for you to kind of take away, okay? So I'm not expecting you to do everything I'm gonna do this morning with respect to Christians and hypocrisy. But again, just trying to clarify in our own minds what a Christian is. So what is a Christian? What is the core, like what's the bottom line of of what it means to be a Christian? What is Christianity at its fundamental core? Yes? Say again? The way you're facing. The way you're facing, yeah. Tom, say more, please. Yeah. But the, but the core is your, your goal. My orientation, yeah. 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 Have I, am I, am I, have I met Jesus? Am I facing Jesus? He says, follow me. Am I, am I facing him and saying, yeah, I'm going to follow you? And I think you're saying, if I'm doing that, there's going to be growth, there's going to be change as I follow him. Yeah. Good. Yeah. There was, go ahead, Bethan. Faith and repentance, yeah, that, that, that's what it, it looks like to be a Christian. Yeah, faith and repentance. Good, you guys are, you guys are there. Yes, sir. Yeah, faith in, in Christ's death, resurrection, right? And then ongoing repentance and faith in, in that historical fact, yeah. You guys are doing great. You guys are doing really, really great. I, I think this is a, it's a good question for us to ask ourselves frequently, what is the core of Christianity? And the good news is, we don't have to guess what it is. We don't have to guess what it is. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through eight, the apostle Paul tells us God tells us what the core of Christianity is. So the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth roughly 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So, I mean, I'm old enough, I can remember back to 2002, right? I mean, I remember that wasn't that long ago for, for someone like me. So about two decades. And in this passage, most, most scholars think that Paul is rehearsing an early church creed, a church creed that was developed less than 10 years after Jesus' uh, crucifixion and resurrection. So I'm going to read this, and then we'll just talk briefly about it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, we're not going to exegete all of this text, but notice a couple of things. Paul begins by saying, I'm delivering to you what I received, right? And that's like I said, that very beginning, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Most, you know, most scholars think that 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 core, that's an early church creed. And so Paul is saying, I didn't make this up, right? I'm delivering to you what I, what I received. And then also notice that he says, I delivered to you as of first importance, right? First importance. What's the core? What's the bottom line? What's the most important thing with respect to the Christian faith. And Paul has just told us, this is the core message of Christianity. It's what Christianity is primarily about, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. One preacher summarized it this way. He said, first, Jesus died in our place for our sins. That's the core message of Christianity. Jesus died in our place for our sins. He died for sinners in accordance with the scriptures. And we could look to Isaiah uh, 53. Jesus, the historical fact is Jesus was flogged, right? He was crucified on a Roman cross and he was impaled in the heart with a spear. He died as a substitute for sinners. That's what Christianity teaches at its core. Second, Jesus was buried. His body was wrapped in many pounds of uh, burial linens, many pounds of spices. He wasn't just unconscious, right? He was dead and buried. And third, Jesus was resurrected from the dead, not just resuscitated. He was resurrected with a new resurrection body. Lazarus was resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected to a new body that will never perish, right? The first fruits. When we're united to him by faith, that's our hope as well. He's the first, and we will certainly follow in this resurrection. And then fourth, after being resurrected from death, Jesus appeared to many eyewitnesses. This included friends, strangers, family, other followers, and even enemies like Paul. So that's, that's the core, and you, you, all, um, you all identified that. But again, not, not everyone's going to be clear on that. In fact, as Christians, oftentimes, we, we get unclear about what that is, right? I mean, functionally, are there days when you are thinking, man, I'm just... I failed, I haven't been good enough, and I feel like I'm just a failure as a Christian, right? I mean, it becomes about what I do, 
And so to go back and, and, and remind ourselves of what it means to be a Christian is really, really helpful and necessary every single day because I can so easily get off track. Okay, so therefore what that means is that a Christian is someone who recognizes they're a sinner, right? They recognize they're a sinner and they turn, like Tom said, they turn and they trust Jesus, right? He says, follow me. And, and I'm turning and trusting in Jesus. I recognize I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Jesus is that savior. And I'm following him. I'm trusting him. So before Paul knew Jesus, he thought he was pretty good, right? You remember Philippians 3? He rehearses that long list of his resume. You know, a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, of the tribe of Benjamin, blah, 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 right? His, his long resume. Paul thought he was a pretty good guy. But when he met Jesus, he realized he was a sinner in need of grace. And he recalls that story briefly uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 as we continue on. He says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Right? The grace of Christ toward Paul was effective. It worked. God's grace in Christ toward Paul was effective. Paul murdered Christians. Right? He murdered Christians. That's what he was doing. But then he met Jesus, and by God's grace, Paul realized he was an unworthy sinner. By God's grace, Paul, Paul received forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, Paul was transformed from a persecutor of the church to the greatest promoter of the church. God's grace is effectual. It was effectual in Paul's life and it's effectual in every Christian's life. Now, like I said, you're, you're probably not gonna have time. I mean, if you can go to this text, that'd be great if you have time to do that. You may have to summarize, and here's maybe a quick way to do that. I, I, I heard this um, from one author. You, you could say a Christian is a person who's met Jesus and I mean, there's the question of, well, which Jesus, right? We'd, we'd have to probably define that. But a, per, a Christian is a person who's met Jesus and been changed by Jesus and is being changed by Jesus. A Christian doesn't tout himself as a righteous do-gooder, right? A Christian touts Jesus, right, as a righteous savior of sinners. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're making progress. To be more clear about what a genuine, genuine Christian is, let's tackle the subject of hypocrisy. Let's tackle the subject of hypocrisy. So we tell how the Bible defines a Christian, but then to get a clearer picture of, of what that means, we need to tackle the topic of hypocrisy. And so we're gonna try to tell how the Bible defines hypocrisy. 
In the New Testament, Jesus uses the word hypocrisy. It's, if you're familiar with, with, with the New Testament, the word hypocrite is a Greek word that comes uh, from the world of theater. It comes from the world of theater. In that day, what actors would do is they would put on a physical mask and play a part. I mean, they would actually get a mask and put on, put the mask on to play a part. And that's where, that's where this word comes from. So a hypocrite is someone who wears a mask and plays a role. A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask and plays a role. A hypocrite pretends to be something they're not. A hypocrite pretends to be something they're not. Here's how one author put it. This is from a book called um, Christians. I think it's called Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and other lies you've been told. This guy's a sociologist. He's a Christian, an evangelical Christian, and he actually um, did a lot of research and, and found that for those, for genuine Christians, and he, he defined that as, as people that actually attend church you know, weekly, regularly, that was part of, of his criteria. And there's actually data that shows it does make a difference. You know, Christians do um, behave differently. But he said this, hypocrisy is claiming to be something you're not. For instance, if you run for office proclaiming your unblemished record of honesty, but then are secretly taking bribes on the side, you're a hypocrite. On the other hand, if on the other hand, you believe that lying is wrong, but sometimes do it anyway, you're not. You're just human. Okay? So, hypocrisy is not doing something I believe to be wrong. If that were the definition, then everyone would be a hypocrite. Right? We all fall short of our own standard, much less God's standard. Um, I mean, if you want to define it that way, I think you can, but it, it seems like the Bible makes a distinction between a hypocrite and a sinner, and I think this, this guy's helping us kind of reach for that. I heard, it, I, I, I heard another teacher make a distinction between hypocrisy with a small h and hypocrisy with a big h. And again, I think it's, it's grasping for the same kind of distinction. So hypocrisy is claiming to be something you're not. Here's another way to think about it. What is the opposite of hypocrisy? What do you think the opposite of hypocrisy is? Okay, perfection. Honesty and, and integrity. Yeah, genu being genuine, honest, authentic. So here's, here's what I'm going to say. The opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. It's honesty or authenticity. The opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection. It's authenticity or honesty. No Christian is perfect, right? If a Christian claims to be perfect or even morally superior to other people, the Bible strongly rebukes that 
way of thinking. In 1 John, John is writing to a church, and he's basically trying to help them understand what are the marks of a true Christian. And there's other things he says, but he says this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. One mark of a genuine Christian is ongoing awareness of sin and a willingness to admit and confess our sin. You've already said it, the Christian life requires daily repentance. I mean, this is encouraging for me. I'm daily sinning in thought, in word, in deed. And one mark of a genuine Christian is that we admit it, we recognize it, and we confess our sins, we repent. Repentance includes confession of sin, I name it, I own it, I say it. Repentance also includes affirming that we have forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, right? We believe that we have forgiveness. And then third, repentance also includes requesting grace for change. The contrast between a sinner saved by grace and a hypocrite is highlighted in Luke chapter 5. How are we doing for time here? Luke chapter 5. So if you remember Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls an obvious sinner to repentance. Remember, remember that Luke chapter 5, he calls Levi the tax collector. Now, you remember who tax collectors were? Remember you had the Pharisees? who were, they looked really good, they were, you know, they were highly regarded in that culture. These were the righteous, these were the, these were the pastors, right? The professional religious people. And they looked really good. The tax collectors were the turncoats. They were hated in the Jewish society. Tax collectors were Jews who collaborated with the Roman government and they went and collected taxes from their, their Jewish countrymen, and oh, by the way, they didn't just collect the necessary tax, they collected more. They basically stole from their countrymen to line their own pockets. Tax collectors were hated people, despised in that culture. And Jesus encounters Levi, and what does he say to him? Follow me. And in an, amazing, in an amazing response, Levi turns from tax collecting and follows Jesus. And as a display of his repentance, his turning from that life and to Jesus, he throws Jesus a party. He throws him this crazy dinner party and so there's all kinds of people at this dinner party, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, some of them show up, and they say this. 
And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's an implicit claim in the question of the Pharisees. Do you see it? There's an implicit claim. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The implicit claim is, we're not that, right? That's the implicit claim. The Pharisees and scribes claim to be righteous, not sinners. So what Jesus is not saying here is that there's some who are truly righteous and don't need him. That's not what he's saying. Others have put it this way. The religious leaders claim to be something they're not. Jesus' point isn't that there are some that are righteous and some who are sinners, and he just came for those who are sinners. No, Jesus' point is that there are sinners who know they need help, and there are sinners who deny they need help. For those who know they're sinners, Jesus comes to them with the offer of grace, forgiveness, mercy, and acceptance. And for those who deny they are sinners, Jesus comes to them with words of challenge, confrontation, and the charge of hypocrisy. A genuine Christian is marked by an awareness of sin, their need for Jesus, and an honesty and an authenticity that that's the case. The church is therefore a hospital for sinners. That's what this is meant to be, a hospital for sinners, not a country club for the righteous. That's what it's meant to be. And there is no perfect church, including this one, but that's what it's meant to be. And that's why church can be messy. We continue to sin. And none of that is said, I'm not saying that to excuse the scandals that have happened in the church. That's not an excuse. It's not meant to be an excuse. The problem with those scandals, I'm assuming, is that those people involved were covering up, hiding, pretending. They were not honest and authentic early on. They ignored or justified or covered up their sin. So, Here's how one author distinguishes between a hypocrite and a genuine Christian. One puts on a mask and pretends to be what they're not. The other peels off the mask and strives to be more than they are. This underscores the point that a Christian is someone who receives God's grace for forgiveness and receives God's grace for transformation. Forgiveness, transformation. Does that make sense? A Christian is someone who has received God's grace for forgiveness and God's grace for change. I love John Newton, great pastor. Many of you know him from Amazing Grace. Dude was crazy wise. He said this, 
Many of you know this quote. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I am not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. What this means is that every genuine Christian is in a process of change. The Christian life is not about perfection, it's about progress. Does that make sense? The Christian life is not about perfection, it's about progress. A hypocrite hides and pretends and really isn't even trying to change. So Newton admits that he has a long way to go to be like Jesus. He's authentic about his struggles and failures. He's honest about them. But he remembers where he came from. And he remembers there has been progress. So genuine Christians fall short of the teachings and ways of Jesus, but that isn't the same thing as hypocrisy. Here's a principle for the Christian life. Growth happens slowly. Growth happens slowly for every one of us. And that's why it's important when we, when we talk to people, when we get to know people, we wanna understand where a person came from. I have a friend, his name is Paul. Paul experienced and did some horrific things in Vietnam. And when Paul returned to the States, he used drugs and alcohol and sex and all kinds of other things to numb his pain. And there's other ways he responded to his pain that unfortunately made his life more and more chaotic and difficult. But then he met Jesus. And here's the thing, Paul's patterns of addiction, his patterns of thought and behavior didn't change overnight. Paul still struggled, he still struggles. And there were even periods of his life where if you were to look at him, you would say, you know, if you just looked at this slice this week of his life, this month of his life, you'd say, man, that guy's a hypocrite. I mean, just looking at that little slice of his life. But here's the thing, Paul's still walking with Jesus. He's still struggling against sin. He's still honest about his struggles. He's still turning to Jesus for forgiveness and for grace, for change. Paul isn't what he hopes to be or what he wants to be, but you know what? Paul isn't what he once was. By God's grace, Paul's made progress. And so the point is, progress looks different for different people. Progress looks different for different people. My, my wife always gives me a hard time because I think I made this up. I think I own this quote. I said to her one time, different people are different. And she's like, wow, that's really profound, pal. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. It sounds redundant, I know. But actually, the more she's thought about it and the more I've thought about it, like, it's easy to forget that. I'm always thinking that people think like me, are like me, right? 
different people are different. And, and that's absolutely the case for, for people who meet Jesus. But the point is, for the genuine Christian, progress is happening. And again, I just want to say this really clearly. When I was a young Christian, when I first came to Christ, I thought it was just, I thought it was going to be just this straight line. I was going to sin less, and boy, it was just going to be marvelous and wonderful, and then I'm sinning still, and I'm going, what's wrong with me? Well, that's because the way change works in the Christian life it's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back. But you know, over a long period of time, there's a trajectory of growth. So yeah, on any given week or day or month, it may not look like we're making progress, but over time, we can look back and say, yeah, I'm not who I want to be, I'm not who I should be, but by God's grace, I'm not who I used to be. Here's the question I'd like you to ask this morning. What would I be like if I didn't know Jesus? What would I be like if I didn't know Jesus? When I think about that question, I, 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 I shudder to imagine where I would be today if I didn't know Jesus. Man, I've got all kinds of struggles, failings, hang-ups, insecurities, and if I didn't know Jesus, I, I, I'm pretty sure where I'd be without him, and it would not be pretty. So knowing God's Knowing the story of God's people, knowing where they come from, helps us have more compassion, patience, and hope for change. Now again, I'm not trying to say our stories excuse our behavior, but they do help explain it. And again, what I'm trying to say is there's a difference between us being a sinner and being a hypocrite. Again, here's, I think this is a biblical summary. All humans are sinners, all hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. A hypocrite puts on a mask and pretends to be what they're not. A sinner saved by grace peels off the mask and strives by God's grace to be more than they are. So here's the summary. Like I said, you're not going to go through all of this. But hopefully it helps to clarify in your mind and make some distinctions. What is a Christian? And what is hypocrisy? And so the summary of what I would tell someone, you know, would be something like this. Like, yeah, some have professed Christ, but they don't really practice Christ. Yeah, there probably is hypocrisy. I mean, you can think of names, right? Some profess Christ, but they don't really practice. Some practice Christ, but never perfectly. None of us practices Christ perfectly. But that doesn't mean we're, we're a hypocrite. We all change slowly. Progress happens slowly. And then some practice Christ, but come from profoundly difficult situations. 
That matters. And growth is going to look different for every one of us, depending upon where we've come from. Dwight Moody once said this, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, the other 99 will read the Christian. It's a sobering thought. And I want us to ask a couple of questions. Here's the questions that we can ask ourselves ongoing. Are there areas of of my life where we cover up behavior not in line with the gospel? Are we covering up? Are we hiding? I'm not asking you to take the mic this morning and come up here and, and tell us all about it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying honesty with God, honesty with a few trusted friends. Are there areas of our lives where we cover and hide? And are there areas of our lives where we tolerate behaviors in ourselves that we don't tolerate with others? Reminds me of being a parent, right? How dare you do that? And then I'm thinking, where did you learn that? (laughs) Right? Where did you learn that? Who taught you to do that? Uh, Right? I mean, that's how we roll, right? We tend tend to tolerate behavior in ourselves that we don't tolerate in others. So these are just questions for us to, to try and root out any root of hypocrisy. Again, the opposite of hypocrisy is not perfection, it's honesty or authenticity. Okay, so respond to the charge of hypocrisy by admitting it's a serious concern. Clarify by asking questions. You know, what, what, in your mind, what is a Christian? In your mind, what is hypocrisy? And then if you can have a conversation, you tell. You know, this is what the Bible says it means to be a Christian. This is the core of Christianity. We're sinners saved by grace. This is what it looks like to live the Christian life. There's progress, but not perfection. That's different than rank hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting on a mask and pretending to be something that you're not. And then the last thing would be to address, be prepared to address specific cases. Um, in church history. And I have one in mind that I can go through pretty quickly. Are there any comments or questions before I do that? I'm sorry, this took longer than I expected. Yeah, Tom. Could you maybe add an A after C? After C? Meaning, if, it's, if you're talking to somebody who's had a bad experience and had left church or gone away, you can say, yeah, there is a version of sin in the church that you run from, and you might have been right. And yeah. Yeah, great comment. Let me try to capture that if I can. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you're if you're talking with a person who's experienced, you know, hypocrisy or or even significant sin um, in church, yeah, that's going to probably look. That's going to be a different conversation, potentially. And and really, um, I, I'm struggling to capture it exactly like you did. But but you're trying to plant a seed and just help them. Um, Maybe help them distinguish between hypocrisy and, you know, and just 
people that are sinning and falling short and um, and and affirm. Yeah, they weren't wrong to, yeah, there could be situations where it's like, yeah, that was a good thing to, to get out of that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where you're gonna need God's wisdom to know, Lord, how do I speak to this person? Again, listening to them and understanding where they're coming from is really, really a key, key step. Yeah, that's a great comment. Yeah, they may have been right to leave, yep. Any, any other comments or questions? That's, that's really good, helpful clarification. Yes, Dan. One possible clarification. Um, there is a sense in which perfection is the opposite of hypocrisy because that's Jesus. He is an example yeah. of perfection that was not hypocrite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the clarification is Jesus was perfect. Yeah. So, so in that sense, the opposite of hypocrisy is perfection in his case. Is that... Is that Yeah, 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 I mean, I'm assuming, yeah, that, that Jesus, but for, the rest of us. but for the rest of us, yes, yes, absolutely, we're following Jesus, who did love God, love others perfectly, yes, yeah, good, yeah, anything else? Okay, I don't know if that's good or bad, um, probably, probably bad, I've got like two minutes, and I think I can do this really quick. Be prepared to address specific cases. And the two, I, 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 this book, it's called Apologetics at the Cross. And in that book, the authors encourage us to be prepared to address two specific cases, and those would be slavery and segregation. Slavery and segregation. And I was just gonna share their approach to slavery, and I think I can do this really, really quick. So sorry, this is, you, you, you can get the book or, or do some more research of your own. But their, their approach would be if someone is objecting, you know, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites because of how the church responded to slavery, um, especially in the American South. Uh, they suggest admitting faults. So we just, we're going to admit faults and then correct and clarify the narrative because there is a, there is a particular narrative. And so real quick, we're going to admit faults Christians at different points uh, in church history have allowed self-interest to cloud their interpretation of the Bible. So he, they give an example in the 19th century. Some Christians used the Bible to support race-based chattel slavery. And I mean the brutality and, and indignity that, that, uh, that these were subjected to is inexcusable. So Christians have allowed self-interest to cloud their interpretation. Some Christians have used the Bible to support race-based chattel slavery. So just admit that, but then correct and clarify the narrative. The Bible never develops or advocates pro-slavery theology, okay? I mean, at worst, um, there was a cultural reality of slavery in Israel, um, but, the, but the laws with respect to slavery in Israel were very, very different from the world around. They were much more humane. I mean, that's the worst we could say. But positively, the Bible teaches what some have called the spirit of abolition of slavery. In other words, the Bible from the very beginning talks about 
people created in the image of God. And there's implications and should be applications to that. And so basically, um, basically the, the church, I'll say it that way, the church should recognize the implications of the doctrine of human beings, male and female, created in the image of God that has implications for how we live. But because of self-interest, the church at times missed those clear implications and applications. And then the reality is Christian men and women who recognize those implications of created in God's image played pivotal roles in undermining and abolishing slavery. You can think of William Wilberforce in Great Britain, the Quakers in the United States um, had great influence in this, um, in abolishing slavery. And eventually, because of this created in the image of God, slavery was eventually abolished in Great Britain, in France, in the United States, Spain, and in Latin America. So that would be an approach. So that's all I have for today. Again, how do you respond to the charge that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites? Admit, clarify, maybe affirm like Tom said, and then tell, and then be prepared to address specific cases. Let me pray for us. Thanks for being here. Oh, Father, would you help us to walk with you and before you and before one another with honesty and authenticity. Thank you for bringing us here together today. Would you prepare our hearts to, to worship you in spirit and in truth? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here.